we have um, we've begun a new spiritual journey together, and there's a goal for this spiritual journey. There's a goal by this spiritually mature in our lives. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the goal of our lives is to become just a little bit more, a little bit more all the time, more like Jesus in our thoughts, our words, and in our deeds. So there's a bullseye that we're headed towards, and that we will be getting more and more spiritually matured in our lives. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that the study is through the book of Acts, and the official title of the book of Acts is the book of the Acts of the Apostle, Apostles. And what it's all about is Jesus uh, taking aside to himself these uh, 12 young men. He pours his life into them. Excuse me. And then through his death, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead, he then pours the Holy Spirit into them and sends them out into a world that's in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some would say a more appropriate title to the book of Acts is the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we've already begun to see, the power of the Holy Spirit working in the disciples' lives, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life and in my life. So as we make our way through this journey towards Easter, we, we can expect and anticipate that we're going to experience more and more of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And friends, that is a good thing. Now this morning, uh, the next passage we're going to look at what the focus is going to be is on how my life counts, how my life counts for the kingdom of God. You see, we're in this world for just a relatively short amount of time, and God's expectation for our faith in Jesus Christ <coughs> that our lives would count for the kingdom of God. So let's turn in our, our Bibles, we'll go back to Acts chapter 1. This morning we're going to look at verse 6 through 11. The reader of the passage this morning is Brother Howard. And as Howard makes his way to the pulpit, and you're willing to be able to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, reading from Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, the New Living Translation. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they asked, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. We thank you for these words written on our page. We pray this morning that these words will be written on our hearts. We are making our way through a very important spiritual journey that I know, God, you're using to change us, to transform us. We are excited about this story. But it means nothing unless you are all of it. So we pray this morning that your spirit will be upon us. May our hearts and our minds be filled with soil for whatever you want to teach us, that we might be exactly that, changed and transformed by your power. 
your people. And we pray for this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, what we want to think about is how my life counts. And there is in each and every one of us, uh, God is placing each and every one of us a desire for significance in life. In other words, does my life make a difference? Am I in this world for a reason? The answer is yes. And our lives are significant because they count for the kingdom of God. Now, there are two very important, uh, two very important uh, holidays, I guess you'd call them, that we celebrate in the Christian calendar and worldwide. And the first one is almost uh, Christmas, which is celebrating Christmas, the advent of Jesus coming into the world, and the promise that someday he will return to the world. So we celebrate Christmas and and we're working our way, already working our way towards Easter, the second great event in the Christian calendar. And in fact, it's study is all about getting us ready for Easter. But there's another great event that we rarely recognize, and it's the, it's the fault of us as pastors. We, we don't talk about it enough. And, and that's the great event of Jesus ascending to the Father. In fact, we call that the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's just what Howard read to us just now. As Jesus bodily ascended to the to the Father, to the right hand of the Father. In fact, in Ephesians chapter four, verse ten, the Apostle Paul says this: He who descended is also He who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that He might fill all of the, the whole universe. Now it's vitally important that we grasp and understand that Jesus bodily was in the world, but now He's bodily seated at the right hand of the Father. And because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he has sovereign control over all of the universe, all, all over creation, and particularly over your life and over my life. And because of that, we are assured that our lives make a difference, that our lives count, that our lives have tremendous potential, not only as individuals, but our lives together as congregations, this church and the Stronghold Church, have tremendous potential for the kingdom of God to affect and have effect on the world around us. So this morning, as we think about the words I've just read to us, I want to give you three reasons why. I want to give you three ways that Jesus is working in your life and my life and our lives together that can give us that confidence that our lives count for the kingdom of God. This very short amount of time that we have compared to all eternity, uh, our lives count while we're here in this world. So the first one is, if you've got your outline out, I'm going to take that out. First word, actually two words you're going to write down, and here's what they are. Jesus gives me right desires. Let me say that again. Jesus gives me right desires. Now, as you write that down, we need to recognize that we have desires in our heart and in our lives. It's, it's things that make us passionate about life. Now, we're born into a broken world. Uh, we're, we're just we're immersed in that broken world. So it's logical and understandable that much of the desires that we have in our hearts are for the things of the world. In other words, we have desires maybe for a bigger house or a bigger car or a better job and on and on. And all that's well and good. But what we want to see is God wants to take those desires and passions that we have and begin to, begin to baptize them, to turn them so that they become His desires and His passions. That's why you have on the screen, I think, yeah, passage from Psalm 37. Listen to what it says. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what that means is, as you grow closer and closer to the Lord, you begin to see more and more of the Lord in His heart and his, what His desires are, 
And suddenly you begin to want the same things the Lord wants. And let's God once again baptizing your passions, your desires, and turning them into the goodness of God. And I say that because it is fascinating with the question that the disciples ask. And it's a question that I think we can all relate to. Listen to uh, verse 6 again, if you would. Luke tells us that the apostles were with Jesus, and they kept asking, so they're, they're on and on, they keep asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, you and I can read that and go right over our heads because we're not Jewish, okay? But for them, it, it was a very, very powerful and meaningful question, although slightly misguided question. Now, here, here's the sketch of history behind the question. Most of all of the history of Israel, the children of Israel, they were under bondage. Uh, if you go back to uh, the book of Exodus, remember they were under the bondage of Pharaoh and God delivered them to the Red Sea and so forth. Uh, later in, in, in life, they were under the, the, because of the disobedience of the Lord, uh, God sent them from, from Jerusalem to Israel and he sent them into captivity to uh, Babylon for seven years. Well, the Babylonians had them, and then the Medes and the Persians inherited them from the Babylonians, and the Greeks inherited them from the Persians, and the Romans inherited them from the Greeks. So most of the history, they were under bondage and oppression by foreign powers. Now, during all of that time, God had made a promise to them that someday there would be a mighty man of God called the Messiah. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, uh, Daniel says that he sees a vision, and he sees this one that he calls the Son of Man coming on a cloud in power and glory, and he rules and reigns over the nations. And Israel is vindicated. So what these young men are looking for is the Messiah. Israel today is looking for Messiah to come and set them free from the nations. Now, if you know that, you know what's behind their question. And what they're saying to the Lord is, and I keep asking over and over, are you going to do that? We recognize you. You are the Messiah. You're just who Daniel promised would come. We've seen you do the miracles. We've seen your power. And now let's, let's get this going. Let's do this. And you see what's in their minds, in their hearts. This is going to be a great gig. I mean, Jesus is going to take over Jerusalem. We're going to start ruling beside it. We're going to have all this political power. They had, listen to this now, they had earthly desires. They wanted to rule and reign. But that's not what Jesus had for them. Now, you and I have earthly desires. We have passions about things in this world. Well, God wants to take those passions, baptize them, and bring them into His heart's desire for us and for the world around them. Now, here's the irony of what the question that they're asking. They are thinking small. They're thinking locally, when Jesus is going to teach them to think globally. So many times in our lives, we think small. We're thinking globally when God wants to turn our hearts and minds, I'm sorry, locally when God wants to turn our hearts and minds globally. You see, they're saying, let us rule and reign in Jerusalem. And what Jesus is about to tell them is, listen guys, I've got something far more powerful for you. You're going to actually get out of Jerusalem and you're going to go into all the world and you can't imagine what I'm going to do with you. In fact, later on we'll see in the book of Acts that people in other cities, they said this. Those people that have turned the world upside down have now come here. And you think anybody talks about me that way? Hey, this person that turns the world upside down is now coming into my business, coming into my home, coming into my neighborhood. But that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to change our desires. 
desires. To see the kingdom of God not only bless us and our needs and where we are and our hurts and pains and worries and fears and anxieties, but turn all of that into good for others. So that we would clearly see that while we're in this world, a short amount of time, our lives will count for the kingdom of God. But it begins with God, Jesus, giving, giving us right desires, giving us right heart desires. Now, with that, the second thing that's going to come with that, automatically, without even thinking, is purpose. Jesus gives me purpose. Now, listen. Very times in life, people are just wandering through life, and they have no meaning and purpose to life. You have meaning and purpose to life, because you are a member of the kingdom of God. You have surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ, and man, that gives you eternal purpose for your life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I don't like only finish the race and complete the path the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of all the wonderful things and all the people that Paul healed and all the churches that he planted throughout the world and all the lives that he transformed uh, throughout the world, he had one purpose for his life, and that one purpose was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has one purpose for your life. It's not to build big hospitals. It's not to have another great business. It's not to be a great parent, a great father, a great mother. It's that your life will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as your life proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, all these other things begin to fall into place. Your life has a purpose for your life and for your faith in Jesus Christ. And we see that if you'll, uh, if you'll listen in on the next couple of verses. Listen to what verse 7 says. Now, this is Jesus responding to their question, a continuous question in verse 6. Listen to what he says. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about his second coming. He's about to ascend to the Father, to be seated at the right hand of the Father, but the promise is that someday he will come back into the world. So that tells us something very important. The world is not, listen to this, the world is not going to continue to go on and on as it is. Each morning that we turn on the news, each morning that we pick up the newspaper, we just see more hurt and pain and suffering and violence and crazy things throughout our nation and throughout the world. Well, this is not going to go on forever and ever. Amen. It's going to come to a halt at a point in time. And for all those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's going to be a new effect on the new earth. But we're not there yet. So what does it tell us? It tells us that we're living in a period of time in which God intends our lives to count. He wants us to know that our lives have a purpose. Just to be purpose. Now it's particularly valid for us to think for a moment about our culture. And here's why. Here are the words that Jesus just said. We live in a world, whether you realize this or not, we live in a world that has a very dominant, a very dominant and powerful worldview. Now, when I say worldview, what I mean is that uh, people, you have a worldview, you may not even know it, but you've got uh, a system that you think about things that brings you a sense of right and wrong, a sense of justice, a sense of what the world is all about. That's, that's a worldview in a nutshell. Well, we live in a world that has a very dominant worldview, and it's called secular humanism, and it boils down to this. The secular humanists declare this. They say we came from nothing, and we're going to nothing. So everything in between has no meaning and has no purpose. In other words, what our children are taught from kindergarten, all the way up to those that are getting their PhD, 
is that we are the result of random forces in the universe. It's called evolution. That these random forces have happened, and we are the result of it. In fact, atheist uh, Christopher Hitchens once said just a couple of years ago, we're nothing but a, a bag of chemicals and gases and bones and muscles that are walking around. What a terrible view, isn't it? We came from nothing and we're going to nothing. So life in between, the life that we're living in this world, has absolutely no meaning purpose. There's no transcendent authority, there's no right and wrong, only what you consider to be right and wrong. Now, you and I have a completely different worldview because you and I know Christ as Lord and Savior, and we know in our hearts that this world is not going to continue as it is. And so consequently, we have meaning and purpose to our lives. And, and Jesus is about to spell it up to them, and the Spirit of God wants to spell it up to you and me. What happens in that meaning and purpose to life? Because it says it in verse 8. Watch this. But, contrast, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The word there is martyrs, or martyrs. You will be my martyrs. Uh, and you will uh, tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the what is he saying? You are going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. God is going to forgive you of your sins once and for all forever. He's going to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to your life. He will completely forgive you of your sins one time for all time forever so that he might fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now that happens in Acts chapter 2. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. But that happened to you the moment that you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. God forgave you of your sins once and for all forever, and he filled you with the power of the Holy Spirit, that that power of the Holy Spirit working in you would, be, would, would heal you, would comfort you, would strengthen you, would give peace to your life, would bless you, and so that through you, God could bring that to others in the world. That your life would count for the kingdom of God. That your life would, be a, would bear witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. So that people would declare we came from nothing and we're going to nothing. You can say, oh no, that's not true because I'm bearing witness that Christ is with That's the power of the Holy Spirit living in all these really Jesus and Lord and Savior. But it's the Holy Spirit living in a church like this, living in, in a church like any church in the world, proclaims the name of Jesus Christ, the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what it does? It moves us from inward to outward. It moves us from being inwardly focused to outwardly focused. And that's what he's saying. And if you will be my witness to Jerusalem, that's where they were comfortable. Jerusalem was Jewish people. There were amongst Jewish people. They got saved and, and they witnessed the Jewish people. But, but Jesus says, don't be comfortable there. I'm sending you out of the world. And that's exactly what he did. He sent us to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's the same with you and me. He moves us from an inward focus to an outward focus. We get very comfortable in church, don't we? Great place to be on Sunday, but it's difficult to live here and go out in the world and live for Jesus. But we'll see in the days and weeks ahead that, that God's going to make that more and more real in your life. Move you from being inwardly focused to outwardly focused. Because when, he, when you're inwardly focused, God brings healing to your life, and He wants to bring that healing to others around you, in your neighborhood, in your family, amongst your friends. My mother in law has a very dear friend, and her name is uh, Sister Thelma. And uh, Sister Donna is a uh, Roman Catholic nun. She's just a very dear, sweet lady. And she served the poor, served the poor in Portland, and spent her years in uh, Florida serving the, the Hispanic community. And she came back to Portland, and she was telling me one time when we were together over to my uh, in-laws house, um, she said that 
there was one of the uh, sisters, which was very dear to her, had cancer. And so she was in uh, Mercy Hospital, and she was suffering with cancer. And so Sister Thelma would go in to see her on a continuous basis every couple of days. And this one particular day, she, she walked in, and the uh, sister was, was laying in bed. And when she saw Sister Thelma, she turned to her and she said, Sister Thelma, she said, I, I just don't have any, I can't serve the Lord anymore. I can't get out of this bed. I have no means in my life anymore. I, 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 have no, I just have no reason for being. I, I'm not, I have no value to God. Well, Sister Thelma listened to this uh, compassionately and, and took all this in. And, and with a very tender and kind heart, she responded by saying, Baloney! <laughs> she said, You can pray, can't you? And she said, Well, yeah. And so Sister Thelma took a piece of paper, wrote down a bunch of names. She said, here, start praying for these people. I'll be back in a few days. <laughs> she came back a few days later when she walked in the room. The sister wasn't in the, in the bed anymore. She was sitting up. And this time when she saw Sister Thelma, she said, Sister Thelma, I am so glad to see you. I've been praying for all these people. And I just felt the presence of God, the power of God as I pray. And I know that he's doing great things in their lives. Since you move from being inwardly focused to outwardly focused. In her struggles and trials, God met her there and transformed her because God was giving her purpose. You have purpose in your life. And you count for the kingdom of God. And you know what happens with all that? There's a motivation that happens. So the last thing I want you to write down is this. Jesus motivates me. He gives me right desires. He gives me purpose, and then he compels me, he moves me, he motivates me. Listen to what Jesus says to the disciples of John chapter 14, verse 12. <clears throat> Very simply, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have to do, and they will do even greater things than these, because I, there's greater ascension, I am going to the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He fills the whole universe. He fills your heart to the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit so that He can motivate you. He can move you. He wants to comfort you, but He doesn't want you to be comfortable. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Peter and how Peter got out of the boat? Well, this year, Jesus wants to comfort you, but He wants you at the same time to get you out of the boat. He'll do that. He'll move. You'll see that in the days and weeks ahead. He will be moving and motivating you in your life. This is what unfolds in verse 9 through verse 11. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Once again, we can read that and go right past us. But for them, it was very, very powerful because what that cloud was and represented for the Jewish people is called the Shekinah glory of God. In, in the book of Numbers, God's children, the children of Israel, were gathered in the desert. And they had a cloud by day, the, the cloud protected them from the blazing sun and the pillar of fire by night. And it surrounded them. It was ahead of them, it was with them, it was behind them, it was to their either side, because God was declaring to them, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's what God says to you. I'm your cloud, I'm your pillar of fire. I am with you every step of the way. Now, Jesus is being taken up into that Shekinah when, the, when Solomon dedicated the, the, the temple, it said that the, he said the temple was filled with the glory of God. They couldn't see the smoke was so 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 deep and dark and powerful. They were in the very presence of God. 
Where Peter, James, and John were to the Mount of Transfiguration of Jesus. It said suddenly Jesus was transformed right before their very eyes. They were in the midst of the Shekinah glory of God. Now, it's, it has to be wonderful, but there's a little danger in all of that. You see, if you remember the story of Peter, he was, he was frightened by it, but once the cloud went, he said to Jesus, let's build some tabernacles. Let's stay right here because this is where we're comfortable. But Jesus said, no, we're gone. We're leaving. You see, uh, many times we have what we call a mountaintop experience. We're in the presence of God. We know that God is with us and He loves us. We just don't have that end. But God says, I want to comfort you, but I don't want to make you comfortable. I'm going to change you. I'm going to motivate you. I'm going to move you. Because I have a purpose for your life. I have a direction for your life. You count for my kingdom on your greatest world. And that's why it says in verse 10, they were straining their eyes to see him rising into heaven. And suddenly two white robed men stood among them, and they said this, men of Galilee. Now, they didn't say scribes or Pharisees. They didn't say wealthy men. They said men of Galilee because they were ordinary men. They were fishermen. They were shepherds. They were farmers. They were people just like you and me, ordinary people that God was going to use to transform the world. So ordinary men, why are you staring up at that cloud? He says, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. He's coming back, but he's not here yet. Someday he's going to return. In the meantime, you and I are living in a broken world. And in this broken world, our lives count. But we've got to allow God and His love to compel us and move us into action. And that's what, the, that's what these men are saying to them. You're it. The body of Christ, you've just seen you go into heaven. You're not going to see the body of Christ anymore because you are the body of Christ. And you are going to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into a broken world. God is going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And He's going to move you out into the world. And lives are going to be touched he changes our hearts. He takes our passions. And he gives us right desires, his desires. He fills us with his purpose so that he can motivate us and move us out of the world. I'm going to ask you to do two very simple things. First of all, look at the Bible page. You see Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We read that this morning. This is a key verse in all of Scripture. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to memorize Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It'll make a difference in your life. It is a powerful scripture. It's a reminder to you and me that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. You've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. And that God is changing your heart's desires. God is giving you purpose. And God is moving you out into a world. You've got hurts, you've got pains, you've got challenges. But as God ministers to those, He's going to bring you into a world that's in desperate need of what you have. And that's the glory of the gospel of Jesus. And secondly, I want to remind you that uh, beginning the week of February 15th, when God's people pray starts. I want you to be praying about that. I want to see 100% of both churches involved in that study. That's my goal. That's our goal for both churches, that everybody that attends, everybody that's involved is going to be plugged into a small group because it's going to change your life and it's going to change our church. When God's people cry out to God, when God's people lift up Christ Jesus, when we are praying to Him, powerful and wonderful things that happen, and we're going to see those wonderful things happen in the days and weeks ahead that lead us into Easter.
there's a uh, man by the name of Philip Hansen, and he wrote a book called uh, Why Does God Matter? And in the book, he tells the story of uh, what was once a young man by the name of Len. And back in the, the 1970s, Len gathered a group of uh, young Christian musicians and singers together, and he organized them, and he brought them to the Middle East to, to, uh, to do Christian concerts. Well, uh, in, the, in the travels, they've been invited to go to Afghanistan. Now, this was prior to the Taliban regime had taken control of Afghanistan. And uh, this was the early 70s. And so, before they got to Afghanistan, Glenn uh, sat the, the singers and musicians down, and you might say he read them the riot act. And he said to them, listen, we are going into a very strict Muslim country. So whatever you share on stage, I want it to be scripted. I want you to be very, very careful what you say, because if you, if you cross the line, we could be imprisoned, we could be jeopardized, the, the Christian ministry that would come behind us could be jeopardized, so you be very, very careful what you say in the strict Muslim country. So these young people, their eyes were wide open, they took all of that, and they said, yeah, yeah, we'll do whatever you tell us. Well, they, they get into uh, Afghanistan, they're doing the first concert, and there's just hundreds of young people there to hear them sing and, uh, and uh, praising the Lord. And they get towards the end of the concert, and one of those women, or one of those teenagers, went off script. He laid his guitar down, <coughs> and he began to say, I've got to tell all of you about my best friend, and his name is Jesus. Well, on side of the stage, Glenn is going,
Bible into their language. And then he never saw one person come to faith in Jesus Christ. The man is buried beside him as his successor. He was in this country for 25 years ministering to the Afghan people. At the end of 25 years, he baptized the first two believers in Jesus Christ. And he went on to talk about others that were buried. And then suddenly he turned to these young people and looked them in the eye and he said, you are reaping the harvest. One man stirred, was in this country for 30 years and all he did was move rocks. The next man came into this, this country for 25 years and all he did was dig furrows. And those that came after him, all he did was plant seeds. And now you, you're reaping the harvest. You see, those young people that they had the right desires, that their desire was for the things of the Lord. Not the things of the world, but the things of the Lord. And because of that, they had meaning and purpose. They had the power of the gospel. When they began to proclaim Jesus, they had the power of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them to people that were hungry to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. But what a powerful and wonderful motivation that was. Listen, over these days and weeks ahead, God is going to be changing the desires of your heart. I can't wait to see it. Because you're going to experience more and more the meaning and the purpose. You see, you're only in this world a short amount of time. Jesus is coming back. When we look around the world today, it could be very soon. But while you're in this world, God's intention for you is for, that you would live out the kingdom of God. What a motivation on this. He's going to be moving in your heart and in your life to do things you would never dream of. That's what these young men are going through in the book of Acts. They never dreamed. They would possibly imagine the things that God would have done with them. That's what's going to happen in your life. You'll never imagine the things that God is going to do with you over the next days and weeks or each Easter. You know why? Because your life counts for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, what an awesome, stunning, powerful thing it is. Consider that our lives would count for the kingdom of God. That you, God, somehow, some way, would love us enough that you would reach into our life with the gospel of Jesus. Lord, I think of those two college students that told me about you when I was a 12 year old punk kid. And because of that, Lord, I surrender to you. Now, someday I'm going to be with you in heaven forever. But till I get there, Lord, help me to have the desires, your desires, right desires in my heart. Help me, God, understand that every day, every moment of every day, there's great potential. Because you love me, you live in me. And help me see that what a great motivation that is. That you want to move me, Lord. And I pray that for all of us, Lord. We are excited about this study. We see, we know for 2,000 years when people begin to take a close look and look back, things begin to happen in our lives, in our families, in the church, in the neighborhood. Oh, God, we pray today. We plead with you today. You will do whatever you want to do with us, Lord. Thank you, Father. We pray for you.
Jesus' name, amen. Amen.